Almighty and loving God, this is a passage we approach with trepidation. We are part of a world that is much more complex, multi-layered than we understand. And we are drawn into something much bigger than ourselves. Grant to us wisdom and faith, trust and loyalty. In your name. Amen. We learn most effectively by experience. We can learn from reading, we can learn from classes and lectures, but we really learn most effectively by experience. It means that there are a couple of areas in which we might pray that God will teach us that we should approach with great caution. I'm very reluctant to pray, Lord, teach me patience. Because I know the next week I'll have every lesson in patience that I'll be thinking, no, 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 no. But that's how we learn. As a preacher, I approach this passage with trepidation because to learn trials, challenges, tests and temptation whilst it can seem very otherworldly, almost surreal, is incredibly real and something that we all, in our own way, experience. And I want to open up a little bit of a window into those who have leadership, pastoral responsibilities in the church and how this is also something that is a very real experience. The episode of uh, Jesus' temptation is its most um, uh, extended in the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, I've been really enjoying, as we've followed the lectionary in recent weeks, going through Matthew's Gospel. But we have jumped around a little bit because of the shape of our, our church year. We've just commenced Ash Wednesday in the season of Lent. So while we had a period looking at the, uh, the birth of Jesus and the baptism of Jesus... And then we jumped into the calling of the disciples and we last few weeks have seen the uh, teaching of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Then last week we leapt ahead to the transfiguration and now we're going right back to the temptation. I just get a little bit lost by that jumping around because the sequence that Matthew has woven together is very profound. Where we are in Matthew's Gospel is that Jesus has come out of the shadows of his childhood, to which we know only a minimal amount. And he's now entered into that public sphere of ministry through the baptism that he had before John. As he identified himself with the people that he had come to lead, the movement he came to gather, and the need for salvation, for redemption, and his affirmation, the moment of the baptism, the spirit descending like a dove and that heavenly voice, the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. That we were reminded of last week in the transfiguration, the other occasion. And then we have this extraordinary episode as we have a sense of anticipation and the, the one who God has promised for centuries is now finally standing he goes into this time of testing. 
Now, there's a couple of things that um, we can reflect on. First of all, this episode, um, there's a whole variety of ways in which people suggest how we should interpret it. Um, some suggest that Jesus here represents Israel and he fulfills the test that Israel previously had failed in their wilderness experience in the Old Testament. You might remember how for 40 years they gathered, were following before they entered the promised land, and they were tested in terms of their trust to move forward, to follow the leading of God. Others suggest that here we have Jesus providing a role model for all disciples as we take up our cross and follow Christ. And that's an appropriate theme for Lent, which is why we do tend to affirm it as a starting point for Lent. And in particular, how a time of testing often accompanies a calling, a vocation to a particular area of ministry or season of mission and ministry. And we should anticipate some challenges, some tests that come in that time. And I want to reflect on that also in the context of our 1030 service. I believe that God is doing something special and there's something awaiting us, a new working of God. We're praying for that across St. Matthew's. We have a sense of God being at work and a lot of foundations falling into place. But we need to be aware that as we have a sense of anticipation, we also need to anticipate a time of testing, a time of trial. And I believe that's particularly true for this congregation where we are seeking to have a higher level of innovation, a higher level of stepping back from some of our uh, existing forms and traditions that are very helpful in other, for other people to see how God leads us and, and raises up a creativity, a, an imagination, an excitement. But that comes with that sense of testing. Others also suggest that in this episode, Jesus is rejecting alternative approaches to establishing the kingdom. And he, dis, he, he uh, demonstrates the distinctive and vital elements of his mission which is quite unlike what has been put before him as alternatives. And I think the reality is that all three of these different levels are working in the same passage. They're all true. And I want to speak into it at an experiential level, which I do with trepidation. First of all, a clarification around the language that we're using, trial, test, temptation. It's all the one word in the Greek. You may have uh, observed that for the last 30 years or so, the wording of the Lord's Prayer in a number of church traditions has changed. And it's not that we've changed the Lord's Prayer, it's just that this particular word has been better understood. It used to be, lead us not into temptation. And whilst that, that is true to a degree, this word is bigger than just temptation. It is the same word that's used for a test or a trial. And it can be misleading to think that God actually brings us to temptation. God doesn't tempt us. He can sustain us in these times. So the translation, save us in the time of trial, in the Lord's Prayer, 
picks up this broader sense of what is being spoken about in this episode of Jesus. This word can apply to a, t- a trial or a test where it results in our awareness of our need to trust and to depend wholly upon God. It's the sort of trial when we realise, Lord, if you weren't with me, if you didn't sustain me, if you didn't guide me, if you didn't overrule me, it would have been a disaster. And we can come away from that wiser and stronger. And God does send trials of that nature. Secondly, it can be a trial or a test of a particular mission or ministry calling. You know, sometimes when we uh, might have a, a new item of some description, you know, I'm very occasionally prone to get a new tool of some description in my workshop. Um, I want to try it out, give it a trial, to see whether it's going to live up to its promises. A trial is a way of testing that this is the real thing. And in seasons of ministry, in some vocations and calling, it can often start with a a stirring of one or two people. And it's wrong for those one or two to come and pronounce and saying, we've got an understanding. The whole notion of discernment in the church is that we bring that sense of what God is saying to us before others and we test it amongst each other. We try and weigh it and discern it. And ask God to reveal whether this is indeed the movement, the direction that he's calling us to do. And sometimes it can be a great idea, but just the wrong time. Other times God says, I know you could go over there, but I actually want you to go over there. The Diocese of Christchurch in New Zealand went through that time. They spent three years developing a strategy, a grand plan of how they're going to invigorate the church, the Anglican Church in Christchurch, our sister city. And they launched it and they had this imagery of uh, being a a fleet of ships going off in one direction. Six weeks later, the earthquake struck. Suddenly their plan didn't look anything like what they had planned. But their goal to be connecting to their neighbourhoods and their community and to be a safe place became incredibly real. So we need to bring these things before God and recognise that it doesn't always just come out of our our own thoughts. We test it and put it to a trial. And that period of sometimes going through a, a really challenging period can be part of that process. The same word can be used for temptation. And temptation is not the same as a test or a trial. Temptation is intended to undermine or destroy faith. You see the line I've actually managed to find to put between the two. The first two can be of God. And the intention, the result is a deepening of faith and of wisdom and of understanding and affirmation of a calling and a direction. God wants us to to come away with that. Once below the line here are the work of the evil one. There's two words used here in these, this passage. The first is uh, diabolos, it's a, uh, a devil. And these are, angel, um, are agents of disruption, agents of mischief-making, agents who are seeking to undo, unravel, to pull the energy out of something. That's the first name it's used for the speaker. The second is the word that is best translated as slanderer. 
That is what the name is actually given. The figure of a slanderer who makes all sorts of accusations and claims. And you know, the slander often starts in our own heads. It is the accuser who presses us in our own minds and saying, who do you think you are? This is going to come unstuck. This is going to be dreadful. This is going to be so hard. There is an easier way. That is also the source of temptation. So a temptation is an intended to undermine or to destroy faith. And it can be creating a time of trial that is intended to disrupt or destroy an area of ministry. Something that I have experienced over the years when there's a sense of God being on the move, of something new coming onto the horizon, a sense of anticipation, spiritual pressure builds up. Um, it's been something that I've experienced and I've very rarely revealed, but uh, when I have major events where I know that I'm and I need to be in that right space, I often experience incredible pressure for days beforehand. I've had a bit of that this week, preaching the sermon, thinking where I might just want to, to go with it. So we need to be aware of those realities. So with those lenses, let's go back and look at the, uh, the temptations. First of all, another little note as it's introduced. Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Not Jesus chose, not that he was... Do- he was led there. And the language is the same language that was used for the people of Israel who were led into the wilderness by the, the, the cloud during the day and the pillars of fire at night. They were led into the wilderness. Jesus is led by the Spirit. And I think Matthew is in, very intentionally trying to highlight that, that element. So this is part of the, the journey for God's people. Uh, Fiona and I were listening to Lectio 365 this morning, as we do most mornings. And uh, for those who don't know about it, we have to talk to you about it. This morning is uh, one of their Sabbath reflections. It had a line that really struck me as I was reflecting on it. This is, during the season of Lent, they're going to use the Sabbath to focus on the resurrection. There is light at the end of the darkness. There is joy and energy and new life at the end of that journey that Lent walks us through. And this is what we need to remind ourselves as we go into the wilderness, the promise of the promised land, of of what is to come and yet to be fulfilled, is very real. The wilderness is nothing like what we might call the wilderness uh, forests of Tasmania or Daintree or anything like that. This is arid, inhospitable space where you would not for a moment want to go to try and create a habitation for yourself. This is where your very life and existence is threatened. And that is where Jesus is taken into this arid space. So that image in mind, let's just reflect briefly on the three areas of temptation. The first two are led by the phrase, if you are the Son of God. And it actually doesn't have the sense of Uh, if in terms of possibly, it's more the challenge. Since you are the Son of God, prove it. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. The slanderer and the voice in Jesus' ear speaking to him says, you must be pretty hungry by now. Forty days of fasting. 
Gando will tell you that if I go for 40 minutes without protein, that I can be quite capable of being scratchy and cranky and my blood sugar will come down. Gando is a wonderful angel who comes and just quietly puts some protein in front of me. Just eat up. Jesus was seriously tempted. But actually the temptation isn't just to meet his needs in that way. It's the temptation to go about his ministry as a magician. In the world of Jesus, there were magicians who would conjure up all sorts of wonders and people would be in awe of them. And it was a show that was spectacular to gain attention. Jesus is no magician. Whilst he did do amazing miracles... And he did bring a touch of heaven to show what the nature of the kingdom he's talking about. It wasn't as a show. It wasn't to try and prove how impressive he was. He sets aside that desire to be a conjurer, changing one item into another. And he says, no, what is important to my ministry is the word of God. That's all that I need, the voice of God speaking into the space. That is what guides us. That is what we are to attend to. The second temptation took Jesus to a, not just a high place, but a high place atop the temple in Jerusalem. And that was a seriously high building. And here the second temptation was to leap off and trust God to send angels to catch you. The temptation here for Jesus is to step outside his sense of his true identity you know how the first actor who played the role was Superman died? He jumped off a building thinking he was Superman. It's true. You know the black and white one we used to see on TV? This is a temptation for Jesus to step outside his true identity, to prove himself by some sort of test. If Jesus was deluded, if he's a lunatic, if someone who's just lost it and has got lost all sense of perspective, this would be something that he would be tempted to enter into. Jesus was so clear in his identity and the mission of God. He said, I don't need to do that. We don't put God to the test to prove that I'm this, uh, some sort of crazy figure. And it was a known area of testing lunatics who ended up at the foot of the pile of rocks. So Jesus sets aside that that any sense that he has is uh, deluded and has lost all sense of reality. And thirdly, in the greatest test, devil took him away to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Not just looking at the land, showed them the palaces, showed them the power of mighty armies and the regimes that go with it, shows them the wealth and the popularity of people parading you. And Satan said, you could have all that. You don't need to take that path to Jerusalem. You don't need to follow the path that will lead to your beating and your mockery and the humiliation and the crucifixion. I can give you an easy way. And Jesus recognized that there is only one way that is true to his mission and calling. And it is not the path of power plays or military or political or economic or social power or popularism. It is the pathway that God is doing a much greater work through. That temptation still stays for, before us today. As 
a church, we need to resist the temptation of popularism. And as a culture, we need to resist the sense that power and economy and proving ourselves to be the strongest, the most powerful, will give us more security. It actually just piles on the anxiety. Even the subtle message that is given that can be so dangerous of saying to children, you can be whatever you want to be if you just try hard enough. And children then think, oh, I'm not. I'm failing in some way. The more wise of us say, oh, that's actually life. (laughs) And dealing with that life often requires humility and learning and recognition. Jesus would not bow down and worship Satan. He was obedient to the task. And the final word says, away from me, Satan. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him. The angels came and attended him, wrapped him, cared for him. And then as the narrative continues, Jesus then begins to call out his team. And the team begins to call out a people. The people become a movement. The movement becomes the church as it continues to grow. That isolation that Jesus experienced is now relocated. He is now present with being a gathering God for the work of gathering. So how does that speak to us as a challenge? I said before, I'm always wary about preaching on these topics because I know there'll be some pressure that'll emerge. Sure enough, there were quite a few little pinches last week, a few moments where people were just pushing in my button. I won't say who or how or what, but I recognised them for what they were and I was able to say, Lord, give me patience. There's also a sense in which, as a bishop, My responsibility is to be a pastor to the pastors, to be a shepherd to the shepherds. And I can tell you that our pastors are going through incredibly hard times. Many present well up front, but many feeling dispirited, feeling as though, you know, can't please everyone. One of the lessons I give to younger clergy when they're preparing for ministry and training, and I've done it here at St Matthew's over the years, is saying one of the biggest temptations is not the big spectacular ones. They are important. We need to be aware of the boundaries. The biggest temptation is being drawn into the sense that you are called to try and keep everyone happy. Even worse, you're trying to please everyone. Because that is a recipe for disaster. I have my moments where I might ask a question and ask some feedback on what we might do. What do you think about this and that? And I'll hear a whole range of views for the next hour. And I'll go home on a Sunday morning and I'll look at Fiona and say, why did I ask that question? <laughs> I'm not going to be able to meet everyone happy. There's such a range of views and opinions. Well, of course, that's life. We work with it. But we have to realise that the temptation before us is not just the big spectacular temptation out there. It is actually what happens within our own culture as a community. A lot of churches are ridden by negativity, by scepticism, by cynicism. That's why I want to bring back a, 
strengthen a culture of encouragement. Little words just at the wrong time can be really unhelpful. (laughs) I've spent time with ministry trainees, with people preparing for ministry here at St. Matt's and elsewhere, picking up the pieces where people have very unhelpfully given feedback at the raw moment immediately after they've had an area of ministry. Can I tell you that the wrong time to give negative feedback or just to point out a few things that you might have got corrected is immediately after people have spoken. (laughs) That's a time just to let people be in that space. It is a very vulnerable place to be. And our clergy are feeling it. Our pastors are feeling it. Who remembers on Friday night the coming of the rain after our heat? If you remember that, hearing it, and you think, isn't that a welcome sight? I'm praying for a rain cloud of encouragement to come in to wash over us. That's what we need and what God is wanting to give. God has given us each other. And where we fight back against these trials and pressures, sometimes it's biting our tongue, sometimes it's showing an element of grace, Often it can be just providing an encouragement and appreciation. Even when things have gone spectacularly wrong, still being able to say, but we will, you know, we've learned and thank you for having a go. That is where I think the spirit will be at work in what lies ahead. I pray with a sense of anticipation, but with a sense of trepidation, that as we seek to step out, as we pray that God will lead us into new space and open up new creativity and our imagination and our energy and our enthusiasm, not to be un, uh, unwise to the reality that we could also expect times of trial and testing where we need to dig deep, dig deep by tapping into God, God's word, God's promises, God's voice, and set aside that voice of the slanderer and hear the voice of God in our heads. Amen.